Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Chris Sinclair. For those about to rock, we salute you. Drew! What's up, buddy? How are you doing, man? I'm doing really good. I have a very exciting announcement. Ooh, what is it? So we're, you know, roughly about to hit the five-month mark of the new position, which we detailed in our most recent, you know, self-fulfilling, ego-inflating episode last one. If people haven't listened yet, go back and find out what we're up to. But this past weekend... I was in San Francisco, zero anxiety moving around the city. Zero. Look at you learning things. I mean, I'm like, hey, I know where that is. Hey, I know where that is. Yeah, I understand that sign now. Here's the question though Can you do it drunk? (laughs) Ooh. Yes. All right. That's a win. Yeah. That's how. I mean, that's how. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. The, the only thing that like, you know, oh, like over the past like two years, you know, as my daughter has continued to get like faster, bigger, stronger, I've been like, I need to train. I need to be able to keep up with her. But in all reality, it's really the streets of San Francisco are convincing me that I need to get my ass in shape because good fucking Lord, I just can't even handle it sometimes. But I think the, I think the thing that always walk quickly or because you feel like it's like, it's just the, it's just the hills. It's just like the hills come out of nowhere. Like you're just kind of like, (laughs) I feel like I have this down and then you're kind of like, I'm uphill again. Didn't I just do this? And, um, and so there's that. And then there's also, I mean, I think the thing that I truly have come to appreciate about San Francisco is like, you know, there's just something everywhere all the time. Right. And you're kind of like, oh, I have this strange, you know, craving for this type of food. It's like, oh, there's like seven within the next 13 minutes of you, you know, and then there's just always something excessively random. And then there's places where like you go, like you're walking past them on a Saturday night and they're empty and they're like not panicking because you're just kind of like, don't worry, we'll be we'll be full on a Tuesday afternoon. And it's like the most random thing in the entire world. So there's a weird energy about that city and you know and of course there's there's definitely the element of you know kind of like the excessive drug use and homelessness but you know what hey power to the people just let, let them do their thing so you know that's that's all i got for that yeah word well good i guess yeah yeah no i, I don't know how to how to go from there but um but yeah overall Super excited about the progress that I've been making in my comfortability with that city. Chris, how are you? What's going on? What's new? Oh, what what's new? Shit. I, you know, apart from last week, I don't know. You know, I just feel like I'm on the grind. We're, we're doing things. We're making baby steps, just ticking boxes, scratching away slowly, moving forward. Uh, can't really complain about, you know, any of that sort of stuff. We're in a, and what you're and what you're referring to, if people didn't listen to our ego episode, is that you know shops coming along, you still have bodega, and it's just plugging away. Hopefully, you get it open. When do you foresee the the bottle shop opening? God, I re- I really hope sometime this next month. It'd be that'd wow, be great. that would be great. Uh, you know, honestly, right now we're waiting on uh, city planning to grant us our conditional use permit, and it, it, at least. As far as my understanding is, because there's no there's no transparency really about the process at all. You just you file your paperwork and you pray. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So well, uh, uh, you know, we filed all our paperwork, and as far as we know, you know, everything is moving forward just fine. Uh, no one has come to us asking us for additional information yet. So, well, well, that's that's good. And, you know, like, I, I know that you're going through this process. So I wanted to bring somebody on tonight that is like open multiple places, you know, so that way they can tell you about how difficult it is and how dumb you are for doing it. But this person is actually like one of those people that 
I met during the pandemic virtually and just had all of these conversations with like about so many different things. And then finally, after years of anticipation, got to meet them and then turned out that they were still super dope. And, and I'll tell you, if you, if you look at my resume, it'll say like, you know, Drew Garrison, it'll say my email, my contact information. And then it'll be a line that says one time this guy asked my opinion on a mezcal and he valued it. Which I will, I just, I can't believe that he gives a shit about what I have to say, which is one of my favorite things. Our guest tonight is the owner of Tohono Mercado and the Tohono down in San Diego. And and I would say a piece of the Mexican one as well. Does that count as for you too, Stephen? Is, is, is that all part of just the umbrella or how does that work? You know, that I can't take credit for. So I, I, oh. I uh, yeah, that's my, that's, that's my business partner. So my, uh, yeah, I, I can't, but Tohono San Diego and, and Tohono Mercado San Francisco, my, my blood, sweat, tears are all over that floor. I promise you. So for, for our listeners who, you know, maybe haven't been to Mecca, AKA Tohono Mercado in San Francisco, and seeing one of the most exceptional like Mexican spirit and wine and beer collections, and also delicious um, yum yums as well. Can you tell people just a little bit about your past? You know where you're at now, and you know just a little bit about you know who is who is Stephen. Thank you, Drew. Uh, first off, very <laughs> kind. Uh, I appreciate. I mean, how do I even back up an introduction like that? Like, it, it's, <laughs> you're making me blush. I'm, if, if people see me, if they saw me on the podcast, you see how red I am right now. But uh, I appreciate the kind words, man. Yeah, it, it all started with passion for mezcal. That's that's where it came from, and and so for me in San Francisco, when I started that journey. I was working at a, at a Hawaiian fusion restaurant called Royce in San Francisco and, uh, you know, making good money, three, $400 a night there, private parties, Deloitte, uh, law group there spending a lot of money, but I always felt that there was something deeper for me. Um, as I, as I went through that path through hospitality, which was, I knew, I knew I wanted to open up a restaurant. I knew when I told my parents that I didn't want to go medical route, that I didn't want to be a doctor or a lawyer, that um, that I really had to come true to to, to telling my parents that I, I wanted to make this dream happen. And so uh, one day somebody comes in with Vago Elote, pours it for me, asks me if I want to try it. And it was over 50% from, from one of my favorite all-time master distillers, Akalino, who unfortunately passed away during the pandemic. But, uh, you know, I will always remember him as as the star that, that gave me the light as far as where, where to go and, and gave me, gave me my fate as far as what I was meant to do, uh, and my path. And I sipped that mezcal and it blew me away. And my, my family's from Mexico. I, I, I grew up like learning, knowing a lot about tequila, but you know, every single time I'd go to family parties, you know, people were drink, drinking Johnny Walker blue or Johnny Walker black or, different types of whiskeys and no one in those, those parties that I was going to as a kid were drinking like high quality tequilas or, you know, mezcal and stuff like that. So I think for me, it, it also allowed me to, to connect to, to my mom's side. My mom's side is Mexican. My dad's side is Persian. And in California, you know, I always had this, this uh, perspective of what Mexican food was, but, you know, mezcal really took me deep into, into that journey and, and got, me to see parts of Mexico that I hadn't seen before. And so from that journey of tasting that mezcal in that moment, it just set off all this creativity in my mind that I thought that I never was. I, you know, I've always been very analytical, very, I, like I did bad in English. Like I was always very good in math and I, I never did well in art. I got a C plus in, in art in high school. Like <laughs> yes. Who gets a C plus in art in high school? Like I just you didn't you didn't bring in enough empty milk cartons, is what it sounds like. That's what that is. Just good lord. I struggled, man. I, I really did, and so you know this journey with mezcal it, it, it allowed me to connect uh, with the the side of my analytical, which was like the plants, the agave plants, like that for me. You know, a plant that's been around for millions of years that survives in some of the harshest conditions known to man. 
and you see you see this beautiful agave just thriving when no other plants can right and then you taste this beautiful spirit from this agave plant and you just it just connected everything for me it connected the bio physiology major medical degree that my parents were pushing me to go to and then it kind of connected me to to my culture and and the hospitality and and how can i put that all together to create an experience um, that's unique and i think that's kind of where I went from there. And, and so me, I, I started working at Kala, which was a high-end seafood Mexican restaurant opened up by Gabriela Camara, uh, who is known for being the queen of seafood and, and especially in Mexico city, but potentially all across Mexico. And, uh, with the sole intention of, of learning more about Mezcal, I walked from, uh, my house, which was next to Tohono Mercado. Then it wasn't Tohono Mercado. And, Put a resume in my backpack, walked down there and knocked on the front door and the general manager opened the door and said, can I help you? And I said, I'd like to get a job here. And she said, well, we can have you for a stage. And, uh, you know, stages, they're not legal anymore. Uh, <laughs> but that- for, yeah. And for our listeners, so stage is like, you can come work here for free. Exactly. Is what it is. You can come work here for free. Yeah, exactly. And so they're like, yeah, you can come work here for free. And um, and so I did a Friday night there and uh, made a couple cocktails, one mezcal, one tequila for some regulars of the bar manager that I would eventually work for, Marsilio. And uh, the rest is history. And from there, that kind of just allowed me to um, connect with these producers all around Mexico, travel to Mexico, check out these different places. Um, and that was kind of like the the launching point for me, as as you could say, as far as like the mezcal and the hole, the rabbit hole that we say that gets you in once you sip one one sip of mezcal. So you so you open up the restaurant down in San Diego, and then eventually you do make your way back to San Francisco, where you've now opened the Mercado. That's been open for two years Almost now, two, yeah. and. Um, and, you know, and part of and part of what you've done is, you know, really kind of creating these experiences for people over the last you know few years. So like like most people, you know, you had put together these really fun virtual tasting experiences. And I mean, I know for myself, I attended a pretty good amount of them because it's just like everybody had time. Right. So it was like, come hang out, come meet all these different producers. I got to meet a lot of people through that. But. I mean, where did that stem from? Because, I mean, you know, obviously you guys had this beautiful restaurant in San Diego at the time and you're just kind of like, well, we can't have people in the door. So what was like the thing where like, let's do these, let's do these tastings online. Let's make this happen. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was a multitude of things. I think it was most um, trying, like, we're like, I was desperate. I was desperate to find a solution. Um, I was having, talking to mescaleros and mescaleras. And they were telling me that like restaurants, like nobody has ordered alcohol from them in months. Right. Um, I had staff that I was responsible for, staff with families. And I was just trying to think, how how can we get people to show up to the restaurant? How can we get people to come to the restaurant and buy food from us? How can we get people to come to the restaurant and buy mezcal from us so that we can continue to buy mezcal? Uh, when half of the restaurants in, in the United States were closing at that, restaurants and bars were closing at that time. And so I thought to myself, I said, what if we, you know, we, and we had done this, we basically switched our kitchen from from inside to outside. And our chef was Chef Adrian, who's a partner in our business now, um, was absolutely amazing as far as figuring out how to switch everything on a dime. And so we went to Taqueria with like, just like a little like plancha and our patio in the front of our restaurant. And, but it was struggling. Like a lot of people weren't still coming in. And so I said, well, why don't we try to figure out, like, I feel like on Fridays and Saturday nights, those are the days that people really like are looking to try to do something fun. What if we create a blind taste, virtual tasting where people come and pick up a little kit of mezcal um, they don't know what's in each bottle. And then they also buy some food from us, um, supporting the kitchen, supporting the booth, so that we can keep doing both sides, support our kitchen staff, support our front of the house, and support uh, these wonderful producers across the border. And so it became a hit. Like we were making like 100 
to like 150 of these kits with like one ounce pours, four one ounce pours. And then I started doing that and people were doing it every single week. And then like people in LA started hitting me up and they're like, Hey, like, can you, can you ship a, can you ship one of these kits up? And then you hit me up and you're like, can you ship one of these kits up to, to, uh, to Bay area, to Sacramento? And I was like, I don't really know how, but fuck it. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. And so then I started doing it and I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was going to like FedEx with like, you know, 25 little packages of stuff. And they were like inputting one address at a time. And it was, it was, I didn't know what I was doing. It was nuts, but you know, people were coming in, people were buying food and people were buying alcohol. And so it kind of just got the wheels turning a little bit. And then uh, I walked into Old Town Liquor, and uh, which is just down the street. And for, for you guys as followers, Old Town Liquor is like an OG as far as liquor stores in the United States for agave spirits. And I walked in there and this guy's got like boxes stacked to the ceiling. And, you know, I'm talking, I'm like, how's business going? He's like, I'm killing it, man. I'm killing it. This is busier <laughs> than the, the holidays. Like, I don't even know what to do with myself. And like my back's hurting from like pulling the chairs and the tables in and out of every single day. And I was just like, man, like, and then like some dots connected. And I was like, wait, like, why can't we do this? Why can't we create something where it's like a lot more dialed in uh, to specific to the producers that we want to support, that we were supporting already at our restaurant. And why don't we create a, a retail store that is a lot more kind of just like centralized as far as the producers that we wanted to support. And so then I told my wife, I told my business partners and um, they were all for it. And so then that led to us deciding where this would be the best place for this, this concept, because it's a concept that hadn't been done before a like high end, like no celebrity brand, no additive tequila with specialty Mexican products, uh, either made in the Bay area or made in Mexico. Uh, and then a deli aspect as well, you know, food, tortas, tacos, quesadillas, and how we put this as all together. And we said, where would the best place be for this? And, and me and my wife, we just, we missed the Bay. Like we love San Diego. We love the beach there. I, we miss our beach days going there, but we really missed the Bay. We missed our people. We missed, you know, everything about it. Like you talked about your, your time in San Francisco recently, the food, everything, like, it's just, there's so much variety. Um, and yeah. so many people that are just like supportive of, of these types of concepts. So me and my wife told our business partners, Hey, you guys hold it down here. We're going to pack our bags up. Um, and so we moved directly from our project in, in San Diego or our restaurant, um, to, to Bay Area for Tohono Mercado. And, you know, and, and I know this is, this is always going to be like a fight, but, you know, two years in, are you kind of be like, I wish I was on the beach or was this the right decision? <laughs> Honestly, man, it's, that's, it's a very honest question. And, you know, me, me and my wife, we talk about it. We like, you know, we had we had a good life in, in San Diego, man. Like we had support from our business partners. We had a great staff. You know, we had our our well, not after you know, not in the first or second year, but in the third year, we started getting our two days off in a row. Right. You know, so you know things things were good. Like right before the pandemic hit, you know, we were finally profitable. We we're doing like about 150k in sales. And all we were like, all was good. We're, we're here. And, and then the pandemic hit and, and we reconcept four times and, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it was tough. And, you know, this project here in, in, in San Francisco, man, we're, we're the dishwasher. We're the chef. We're the mescalier, if you could say, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're, the, we're the beer recommend recommendation. We're the wine. We have like a, a very curated list of, and one of, one of the few people in the United States to focus on Mexican wine, you know? So we're wearing so many more. I mean, you wear different hats in restaurants, of course, of course, but you don't work all positions at the same time as well. And so I think, I think that has been the, the tough part is the the support of of the team. 
uh, it's just become a, a family project up in San Francisco, me and my wife and, and my colleague Sergio now. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. When I met Sergio finally for the first time just this past weekend and uh, totally awesome and uh, really great. And I, and I do hope that, you know, people that are listening to this, you know, if you, you know, if you can't make it down to San Francisco, like, you know, you can go to your guys' website, you can order stuff there. And I think it's important to point out where it's like, you know, agave has become really popular and it's growing and stuff like that. But like you even take that to a different level and you're bottling things that are so weird and so bizarre, but also really good. Like, for example, you actually bottled like distillate from a Quixote, which is the stock that springs from an agave as part of its like, you know, reproduction process. And, you know, in, and I'm always really candid with the things that you trust me to give opinions on and stuff like that. Uh, in fact, we had a good conversation the other day about one that you're thinking about right now. But when it comes to these weirder concepts and these fun things that like, what's kind of the driving force behind that where you're kind of like, okay, there's all these really amazing mezcals I can do, but I'm actually going to do Quixote because why? Yeah, I, I think it's really two two things. One, most importantly, is the experience that anybody has when they go to Mexico and they find like super legit mezcal. When you go to Oaxaca and you taste, you go to Mezcaloteca, for example, or or you go to El Distilado or, mm. or Casa Oaxaca or Orihin, and you go to these places and, and you taste the mezcal there, you're blown away. Like most of the time, the stuff that you're tasting there, it's not available in the States. And that master distiller doesn't produce enough to have a label that's in the States. So I think the first motivation for me is to find something that's really special for people that are coming to the store to help recreate that experience that people have when they're in Mexico as far as finding these beautiful distillates. And then secondly, which is for me the most important, is picking the producers that I respect the most, the producers that and families that I want to support, the, the people that I just connect with. And, and so, you know, our private batch, one of our first private batch, our first private batch was from Tosba, from, from Alessandro and Edgar. And these guys, uh, for your followers, they produce beautiful, beautiful mezcal in the jungles of Oaxaca off the grid. It used to be about a six and a half hour drive up into, into the Sierra Norte. And, and now it's about a three and a half hour drive, supposedly, according to what Alessandro has told me about the new road. But this this place is beautiful. It's magical. It's He's growing agaves on jungle slopes there off the grid and you know, for me to come to him and say, hey, Edgar, like, and Alessandro, my wedding is not is this year, and I would love for you guys to produce a pechuga for our wedding. I would love for it to be a lamb pechuga to celebrate the Persian side, the Middle Eastern side, and then combine it with the beautiful agave that represents Mexico and the traditions that you have carried on. And... Uh, for me to be able to pick that batch up, write a check, have that to him in 30 days, for me, I think is is also another very important aspect to these private batches that we do. It just allows us, like, I think the start of it was during the pandemic. <laughs> I don't think I can get in trouble for this now, but you know, we were we were bringing we were bringing mezcal like directly from from Real Manado. And I was selling those bottles directly to guests of Tohono San Diego. And that's kind of where it started. It was like, wow, like I can support these producers, work with them and see it directly, like immediately. I, I think that was also a very important aspect to those private batches. Yeah, no, that's definitely been an issue with a lot of heavy metal products is that a lot of people sidestep the importer and go right to the source, which is, you know, yeah, you know, a little bit of a gray area here, but, but, you know, pandemic, I will say, you know, pandemic, you just, you just, all of us were just trying to survive, you know, no, no, I mean, no. 
Totally. I don't do that now. Yeah. No, no, totally. And I think that, you know, and, and I got to be one of the beneficiaries of that because, you know, during, during the pandemic, one of the, one of the tastings that you did was the origin Reyes. And, um, during that tasting, we had a, we had their first pachuga that they had done that was done in, in celebration of Bildo's, uh, daughter being born. And so Bildo's daughter and my daughter are around the same age and we're born or actually around the same time, like, like very close to each other. And so I, you know, started to get really excited about it. Cause you know, first of all, it was, it till this day is my favorite Pachuga of all time. Um, it's not close. And then, so I was like, Oh my God, I would love to get my hands on this. And, and that was like when kind of like all three of you guys, like you build out and Aziz also kind of like, well, it's not really here. It's not really a thing. And then no joke, you know, you hit me up. You're like, do you really want this? So I was like, I fucking do. And I had that bottle within like a week. So, you know, I'm forever in your debt uh, for that one. Cause it's still one that I, I sip very, very slowly. I'll, I'll say that. And so it was just, it was, but it was cool because, you know, again, it was a way to, you know, support those guys as they were, you know, really trying to get that brand off the ground. And then, you know, of course, Aziz has gone on to, to do some, you know, to do Dish Bay as well and, and all that fun stuff, but which I think is, which I think is really good. So, you know, so highlighting these producers, highlighting these things, like, how do you feel that it's resonating for somebody who walks into the store for the first time? And they're like, what is this place? What's that conversation like in today's world for someone that has a high-end, you know, agave shop? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely still a lot of education uh, that that needs to happen. You're talking about some specific types of bourbons and and rice and, and all these collector uh, edition items uh, with you know grain spirit that didn't take that long to grow. Uh, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. one year compared to, or months compared to 10, 20 years. Right. And so how do I, how do I try to convince somebody that has been buying that expensive type of product and apply that to something that's coming from Mexico? Right. I think that that has been the the toughest part for me because I feel like there is this perspective that, things from Mexico should be cheap. Right. right. And yep. I, we can, we can go into a multitude of different angles of this. We can talk about mezcal. We can talk about the price of a, of a taco. We can talk about the price of a corn tortilla, right? There's many different, different layers to, to this. Um, and so I think for me, the biz- biggest thing uh, for somebody that's coming into a beautiful store like ours is that I want to make them feel comfortable. I think one of the biggest things that we were worried about was creating su- such a beautiful store. Uh, and I mean this in the most humble way. It's just like trying to create something that is true to to our concept, true to our values as, as a brand as, uh, and as far as also our memories of Mexico and transporting people um, that we were really worried that that would also be an issue. So for me, I think it's making somebody feel very comfortable coming in and then immediately trying to figure out where they are on the spectrum of, of agave spirits. Are, is that person that's coming in somebody that um, enjoyed a really good mezcal cocktail that's like looking to explore more into the category and, and wants to sip on something that's a little bit more unique, but you know, doesn't want to spend more than 50 bucks or am I dealing with a consumer that, you know, is somebody that would not think about putting that mezcal into a cocktail. Um, and then for me, then that allows me to have the conversation about the private batches. So I think for me, the first thing I'm always asking for people when they're coming into the store is, are we using the cocktail? Are we using the mezcal for cocktails, sipping or a little bit of both? Yeah. Yeah. And then just kind of gauging it from there and then being like, okay, and I put this hat on, put that on. And then, so, you know, so my last question for you is, you know, like, like you said, like it's definitely a family endeavor and stuff like that. How soon are you going to have your son behind the register uh, <laughs> working for you? Because I know like, you know, you guys came up, you have this beautiful baby boy. 
I mean, like, how much time does he have before you're like, all right, buddy, we got to get you behind the counter. We need some help. Like, where, where are we at with that? As soon as he can learn all the agaves. He learns all the agaves, <laughs> he's ready. Because okay. if, you, if, you, if you know more than Tobala, Tapastate, and Asparin, you already got 80% of the consumers covered. It's like, the, <laughs> yeah, just like the, you know, you, if you get past like the brand starter kit, you're, you're good to go. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of kids, you know, they get to learn about different types of dinosaurs and things like that. No, Mike is going to learn about different types of agaves. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think you're doing the right things. I, I basically, like I teach my daughter different Jedi names. So, you know, we all got to find our thing. Right. So no, exactly. that's, uh, that's great. Okay. Well, so again, you know, we, we definitely want to drive people to, you know, to go check out Tahona. And uh, whether it's in San Diego or more specifically go to San Francisco so you can check out all these really, really dope private matches. Um, every time I go in there, I try to get something because there's so many fun things. Like actually the most recent trip, Steven represented, uh, recommended this really, really amazing uh, Distillado de Agave. So technically not even Mezcal from, um, so is it Itzcateco? It's like a deco, yeah, exactly. It's like a deco. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Papalome, which I'm, which I feel like you, like, I now have like three of those from you. So I feel like I'm getting a sense of like what your favorite agave is, just based off the fact that every time I ask you for a recommendation, you tend to, you tend to drift towards that agave. So is, is there some truth to that? Is that one of the ones that you're kind of like, give me that, give me that cheesy funk or what? I mean, I definitely love I love that cheesy funk, but I, I think for me, like I love the great balance between like bright, bright flavors yeah. and, and, and like the more like classic, like smoky mineral flavors. So I think you are on onto something. But one one thing I do want to say for your followers, if you need an excuse to get like your family into a liquor store. There is a lot of stuff at Tahona besides the liquor <laughs> that the family can get into, husband or wife, yeah, and kids. Yeah. We're talking about beautiful heirloom masa. We're talking about hand-pressed flour tortillas. Uh, we're talking about beautiful chiles heirloom, either grown here in Boonville uh, or across the border in Mexico. So... I think for Tohono Mercado, it's it's a good excuse for everybody to come, whether you enjoy the finer spirits or you enjoy the higher quality ingredients that are associated with Mexican cooking. I love that. I love that. Well, now I think it's time for our opinion on uh, facts we've heard from reputable sources. <laughs> Okay, Chris, question for you. Yeah. Did you know that people from Belgium hate beer? I, I've i heard it rumored that they absolutely love beer. Except if it's from America and when it's advertised as the champagne of beers because that was what happened with Miller Life. Miller Life, of course, is the champagne of beers, but when that entered well, the country... Of High Life. Yeah, Miller High Life. Sorry. Miller, same same difference, right? I mean... Miller Life. It's Miller High Life. Miller, Miller time. High Life. Miller Time. Let's go. It's Miller Time. Either way, there were... There was a... There was an individual in the country of Belgium who was like, you know what I need? I need 2,352 cans of Miller High Life that eventually... Actually, it was Germany. I'm sorry. That they're that I need to have in my life because apparently I guess the beer is not good in Germany. I don't know what what's what's the situation there, but they were like, I need this. Well, when it got to Belgium, they saw that and they took quite the offense to the the beer being called the champagne of beers and considered it illicit goods, to which it was then destroyed. All 2,352 cans were destroyed by the Belgian uh, government. And I just got to get your thoughts. Like, have you ever, Chris, have you ever looked at a can and just said to yourself, I must destroy this? And what was that can? <laughs> yeah, I have. 
What was it? That, well, there have been multiple cans that I've wanted to destroy, and uh, some of them I wanted to destroy internally, and others I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, just empty. I, I think I'm probably all malt liquors in cans I, I don't want to see. I have I have some bad bad experiences uh, with them that I, I... I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Steel Reserve is quality, <laughs> quality stuff. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> Here's what... A, I don't believe that all the beer was destroyed. I definitely think some of the beer went home with some of the authorities. There was some pretty, like... M- like damning photos though like there oh, there's a there's a stack there. here un- where they're unpacked they look like they were some of them look like they were cracked open like yeah did someone have to sit there and like crack open all 2000 plus cans i you know what okay so looking at it yeah or did looking at the pull, picture or did they pull a kid rock and just blow them all up with their machine guns no so they put them in a big like garbage compactor but you can see that each one has been open because it's not like it's not like there's no pressure breaks in in the cans anywhere so then i guess my follow-up to you then would be like if you're the guy responsible i would assume pretty low on the totem pole in the belgian you know beer destroying government or that or high yeah but it's like but it's like if you're doing that job where you have to empty them are you taking one home are you kind of being like i have to know what this tastes like or is that worth it? Oh, I think, to you? I think at least the case went home. At least, at least the case went home with someone. There's no yeah. way. It's like it's like when when you hear that uh, the authorities found, you know, 15 pounds of weed and you know 12 gold bricks. Like, well, it's probably like 14 gold bricks <laughs> and like 15 pounds of weed. Right. Right. Okay, so so Stephen, as someone who has illegally moved al- alcohol across the border, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, 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 the statute of limitations has been reached. Is there is there something from from Mexico that you're like, I need to get this here now that I like I've never seen anywhere like when because like you know obviously in Germany you can't get the champagne of beers because they don't want good beer there so like. Is there anything that stands out to you that, you know, that you go back to your own coyote days and figure out like what you could bring over? You know, for me, it's got to be Huilacoche. I want I want to bring over some Huilacoche. And I, I think for me, this has been a tough part because I so Huilacoche. Sorry, guys. Uh, Huilacoche is basically a corn fungus. This is the delicacy of 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 Mexican cuisine. One one of many different uh, delicacies that we have. How do you and, how do you spell that? Just because we have a new we have a new title for this episode. So. <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm so bad at spelling, but I think it's H U I L A C O C H E. Oh my gosh! I just like that. I just felt like I was on an ESPN spelling bee right there for a second, <laughs> with what? my parents staring at me while I'm trying to spell something right. You're very critical Persian dad, and you're like very forgiving Mexican mother. You know, so, yeah. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, so it's a it's a corn fungi. Go go from there. Yeah, exactly. So I have been trying to get a mezcal pechuga through Palama, uh, uh, which um, for you guys, Palama is a a brand of Alma Mescalera in in Mexico. This guy, Eric Rodriguez, is known as the Indiana Jones of of Mezcal. And I have asked him, because I tasted a Huilacoche batch from him, uh, to, to do a private batch with him. But TTB is like holding it up. And like they like don't understand what we la coche is. So if there was something that I could smuggle across, it would be we la coche for sure. That is the least. I want that, I want that corn fungus. That's the least surprising news I've heard. I, I mean, the fact that they <laughs> look at this and like, why would someone want to bring in fungus? You know, well, I think that I think the problem for the TTB. So again, that's you know the TTB is something we talked about on this. At, you know, on the show quite a bit 
and it is the government agency responsible for like packaging, labeling, and, you know, approving just booze to come over. And when you have things that don't fit in like their boxes, instead of being like, you know what, let's add to the box. Let's, let's, let's create a new box. It's just kind of like, no, we're not doing it. And it's so ridiculous because obviously there's a very narrow scope that you can have, you know, in this world. And it's just, it's just incredibly disappointing. It's just kind of like, what the hell? Like, and and the thing is like, you have to put what's on there onto the bottle to get it approved. Right. So there's not like a workaround, you know, you can't call it. I mean, like you gotta be upfront about it or potentially face some consequences later. Right. So, but I, I will say this, you just let me know when you need to relive those coyote days. Cause that sounds fucking awesome. And a chance to work with Eric as well is something that I'm definitely interested in. Right. So, Okay. Now to bring it back to, to the, to the Belgian government destroying these cans. I mean, when you read this article, were you, did you feel like it might've been a slight overreaction or what were your thoughts kind of be like, yeah, keep that stuff out of there. Well, my reaction like immediately went to something completely sidebar, which was what happened to all the beer at the world cup that no one was allowed to drink. Mm Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I was thinking about, to be honest, because when I went to a World Cup in Brazil, all I could drink was shitty beer, watered down beer, less than 4%, and I just stopped drinking it. So you asked uh, Christopher, like, are, are people drinking this stuff? They have to be drinking it. For me personally, <laughs> I, I hell no, I wouldn't drink it. I wouldn't waste my time drinking because all it's going to make me do is go to the bathroom. And that's why I stopped drinking beer when I was in the World Cup in Brazil was because I kept missing games because I just kept having to go to the bathroom. So what I want to know is what happened to all the beer at the World Cup? Didn't they? Didn't the didn't the um, Anheuser Busch donate it to the winning team? They so, and I don't I don't know what the follow through is obviously on this, but at the time when you know the very progressive Saudis were like were. We're not going to let people do this. Anheuser-Busch came out and said, we will then send all, we will send the beer to the winning nation's um, country. That's where we'll send it. I don't know what the follow-up ended up being because I think after, it was Argentina, was, it was Messi, Messi won, right? And, yeah. uh, and I think, everybody was so caught up in how salt Bay got on the field that nobody followed up on the anheuser Bush like promise. So, so I don't know, maybe that's something, maybe that's some investigative journalism that we need to do. So um, that's a good question. Sorry, I love how- sorry, sorry for the off, off top, but that's just where my brain went. I was like thinking about all this beer and you know, so. no, I can't, I like the, I spent a majority of the beginning of like our off air, like show prep telling you like, don't, don't be afraid to go off topic. And you were just kind of like, yeah, I'm fucking going to lean into this then. Like I gave you the go ahead and you're like, I got it. I'm just what I'm doing. So <laughs> here's, here's my other question, right? Is like, this was sitting in a shipping container going to a port, right? Like going mm-hmm. was, in a shipping container in a port going to germany they couldn't just let it go right like somebody said oh this is on i know best it's going yeah <laughs> yeah close together we're smashing beers i think it's you know it was it was clearly it was clearly like one of those kids growing up that just like loved to tell on people you know <laughs> that they like they got their dream job working in one of those testing centers where like, you're not allowed to cheat on anything. Like they just watch you like that was like it. And then they somehow lost it for some reason. Maybe it was like a COVID protocol where it's like, Oh, we can't be in person anymore. And they're just like, they're just taking out vengeance. Like they're just going through ship logs being like, this is not champagne. I've never heard of this Miller light champagne before. (laughs) How does that come from the Americas? destroy it that's how they were that's that's, just, that's how that worked there's just so much about this story from the like lack of response from miller 
to like, hey, guys, how about, you know, you come over here and we'll share a beer to whoever it was going to in Germany, you know, not being named. And who knows, like, did they spend that money and they just get fucked out of all that money? Was any of it like recouped? <laughs> you know, was there insurance involved? You know what? You know, what's the deal? There's so much. I have so many more questions about this story than this story answered. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, again, I think uh, I think if we can take any inspiration from our new favorite podcast, Vinfamous, is that there are answers out there and you just got to do a little bit of digging. So, Stephen, I, I, you got to check out this other podcast. I mean, we understand that this one's great, but there's this Vinfamous one that they do like these deep dives into like controversial things that have happened in the wine world, you know. Maybe maybe this is what this is your calling, Chris. This could be like beer famous, and you can just go finally find out like what what led to this. Who was the motivation? You know? you're, there's no way you're the only one. There's there's no way that you're the only one that cares this much about how we got to this point. I mean, I mean again, I just think it was someone who really likes to tell on people, and this was their this was the coup de gras for them. This was it. I'm there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, speaking of shipping containers not containing what they're supposed to or, you know, going through it. (laughs) Perfect segue. (laughs) So the Mexican Navy, that exists, first of all. I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know that either. But, I mean, I guess that makes sense found 10 tons of liquid meth in tequila bottles. Uh, They found they seized more, like I said, 10 tons of concentrated liquid meth in more than 11,520 tequila bottles. They were found Sunday at the Pacific Coast seaport of Manzanillo, while the glass bottles were awaiting export. All told, the bottles contained about 19,000 pounds of meth. The bottles were... Uh, were found after searching a uh, shipping container carrying 960 cardboard boxes, which then makes you kind of think like, why is that suspicious that there's cardboard boxes, but whatever. Pretty impactful uh, photos that are on the daily news. So I, I would tell people to go check that out just to be like, you got to come see how this stuff is. Now the, uh, the f- majority of this stuff was the color of an añejo, which just goes to show you you shouldn't drink aged mess, each aged agave, right? Because it might be meth, but <laughs> that's going to be my new thing now. But it was it was seized, and I think there's still an ongoing investigation into it. So smugglers take this liquid meth in some processing facilities where water is extracted to return it to you know its crystal form, so like a form of distillation, I, I suppose. But uh, yeah, the the drug ring still still going crazy. Stephen, you have you have tried a lot of different agave products over the years, and yeah, you've been exposed like meth. Yeah, a lot of things. Like, has there ever been a moment where you've tasted something and you go, "This is a little methy"? Yeah, it was uh, Casa Amigos. Oh, Very <laughs> Casa Amigos just <laughs> dunked on him. Uh, oh my god! All right, I had to. It was too easy. It was that too was easy. it. Was and it was great. I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we were here for it. I, I mean, I've never done math, but uh, people say it's sweet. So yeah, just my my brain went Casa Amigos. Oh my gosh! Wouldn't that just be the best ever? If that happened and that somehow submarine that brand. Let's start. Let's start the conspiracy right now here. Yeah. The good bottle. The good bottle Tonight. podcast. We're putting it out there. The Añejo bottles they were using. I mean, listen, that's not a natural color that looks like in those bottles. So exactly. it's clearly mess. It's, it's clearly it's mess. Chris, what were your thoughts when you, when you learned of this major seizure of meth tequila? I was, you know, I I remember the the great lime apocalypse of 2016 or 15, where where the cartels were shipping shipping coke up in 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 lime lime boxes, and so they were they were like stopping all these are these farm trucks dumping out all these limes, filling up all these cases with uh, with cocaine, and trying to get them over the border. 
and uh, so it drove it drove the case of the price of of limes way 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 up through the roof like to the point where like limes wholesale were like a dollar fifty a piece it was just it was just ridiculous that's an expensive lime it's an expensive lime uh, to the point where you know we always made jokes about like charging people for the garnish on their rum and coke <laughs> this. Limes are expensive right now, by the way. There's there, but they're not that expensive. <laughs> they're they're like a hundred dollars a case right now, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's expensive, dude. <laughs> this entirely not surprising, except for the fact that I didn't know that liquid meth was a thing. Because I'm just not, I'm not clued in into the meth world. I think that's not a bad thing to not be clued into. I mean, you know, I mean. You know, if you're like, like, you know what I'm really ignorant on? Hardcore drugs. <laughs> like, something about them. Something about them just eludes me. Was the liquid consistently colored? Like, did they use did they use caramel coloring to like even out each of the bottles? Or was it? Oh just man. Match match? Well, I mean, Cosmigos is pretty consistent, so you know. <laughs> I'm just gonna ride that. Ride that to the very end. <laughs> um so yes yes it was i mean it's it. it's definitely gonna make getting my wheel coche pechuga harder to the to the u.s market i'll tell you that for yeah, sure right like that ttb agent's looking at it kind of being <laughs> like like fun you know yeah, corn, you know, fungus, corn fungus yeah right yeah that's <laughs> putting meth in there you know and and honestly that took away one of my last you know you always have like just in case the business concept doesn't make it what can you resort to you know when i saw this when i saw this news report come out i was like damn i could have made a lot of money selling in tenderloin this type of mezcal oh my gosh well so hopefully my business doesn't get to that point but (laughs) you never know you know the the market for casa amigos and clase azul it might overtake tono mercado's Real true tequila mezcal offerings. We might have to go to that. Here's- yeah, it's like it's like the like I I I go in there the next time I ask for a recommendation. And he's just like he's like oh you don't want that one. There's like the double wink with it, you know. Like you don't want that one, you know. It's like oh no, he's he's crossed over. He's he's on the dark side now. I'm lo- I'm looking at this picture and I the the thing that's standing out to me uh, more than anything else uh, in the in the photo that came with this article is that these bottles are packaged so much better than any booze bottle I've ever seen packaged. It's like wrapped in styrofoam. looks like it's got egg crates around it. This is no wonder they found out that it wasn't. So, so, okay. So with that being said, then you think this was, um, you know, a little win for the Mexican Navy. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, yeah. This is this is necessary. I mean, especially. I mean, not that we generally talk politics on on this show, but with the in, increased harsh rhetoric uh, of between our two nations here, uh, definitely a, a huge win for the Mexican government and for the Mexican military for for producing this and uh, stopping it as a as as you know a little bit of uh you know like see we can we can handle this on your on our own don't send the troops to you know american troops into mexico type of thing so did you guys click on the actual photo of the bottles that was linked in the article i just clicked it yeah okay so it shows like there was like there was considerable effort like put into this right in terms of making the bottles look legitimate and everything like that. And I just, I just want to know, like if you're in the business of moving liquid meth across the border, whose job is it to design the bottles to make them look legit? Rudy, do you, that's what I'm going. Okay. Rudy. Okay. Rudy. But it's like, if you're, if you're the cartel in this situation, like do you have a guy within the organization who's like really good at graphic design or does that get outsourced? Right. Like you hit up on team and you're like, I need you to design a tequila label for me. How does that work? El Bandito. Anything. It's I mean, there's there's 
tequila bottles in the shape of guns. There's I, endless, endless content uh, available in the U.S. market as far as how extravagant, how tacky, how. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, but you can tell like this isn't. I mean, so you know, again, we're we encourage our listeners to go and look up these these articles. Like there appears, I mean, they so they've blocked out a lot of like the actual logo of it, so you kind of have to piece it together. I'm like, can, but, can anybody see a nom on there? <laughs> no, that's what I was looking for. That's what I was like. I was like, do you pick a nom as well? Like, how far does this go? Where they're kind of like, oh, they don't have a nom on here. This clearly isn't real. <laughs> but it kind of looks like maybe there's like a goat on it you know like i feel like i'm seeing some ears and maybe a horn i don't know but either way i'm I'm curious to know like who does the graphic designing for the cartel like that i guess maybe that's what i'm getting at is i just want to know is it internal or do they do they outsource that that's that's what i want to know maybe i don't want to know maybe i'm asking too many questions i'm on too many radars now right so is that like the safest world of crime is like being a graphic designer for the for the cartel like it's better than being the accountant, better than being the lawyer, even though those are like you know pseudo safe jobs. Well, not if it doesn't work, like in this situation, <laughs> right? You fucked up. You didn't include the nom. Got to go. Like they like bust into his office and he's sitting there doing like their next like batch of you know cochita cheese, you know that's actually cocaine, and he's just like, oh, terrible, terrible. We're bad people. We're laughing. Okay. We have someone getting shot. It's all right. I hope not. All right. Let's move on from this. I don't want to keep making jokes. Well, what you can do. No, no, one, no one died from the seizure. So that's 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 a good good aspect, at least from what we know. Yeah. So look at Steven. Ray of sunshine. He's just like, listen, guys, no one died and just, that we know of. Just to make sure we don't get sued. These bottles <laughs> definitely don't look like Casamigos. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and these bottles are definitely not sold at Tohono Mercado. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> oh, boy. You know who sold so- them over there? I was like, I've been so good lately, just like not talking shit about things, but Stephen brings it out of me. Okay. So let's move on past that. Let's move on to things that we think are dope. So this is our dopest follows. This is my favorite part of the show. And this is where we tell you who you guys should be checking out. Could be books, movies, TV shows, all the, all the, all the above. These are just dope people, dope things that we want other people to be exposed to. So Steven, kick it off. Who is your dope follow? Who do people need to check out? You know, Recently, I have been following on Instagram Lucas Assis. Nope, can't follow uh, him. He's the worst. Don't do it. <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, no, no, that's great. No, he's awesome. He's awesome. Lucas, uh, that was true. Ignore him. Yeah, I don't know. He, you know, he he's been focused on tequila for the longest time. But he's been getting into mezcal recently. Uh, but what really got me focused and on his handle was that uh, he finally gave a shout out to a mezcal brand, which was the Ultramundo, um, that I sold my good buddy Drew a bottle of that he absolutely loves. Mm-hmm. Great and packaging too. Fucking great packaging. It's absolutely beautiful packaging. And come on, they they have a charity for desert sea turtles. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, did you even know there were desert sea turtles? Like, it's just, it's beautiful. So stone fruit on the nose. Sorry, this is my plug for ultra mundo. I'm just going to go for it. (laughs) on the nose, Stone fruit all day, peach nectarine. You got to go for it. But on a side note, yeah, just recently, Lucas, I'm appreciative of somebody that has been talking about non-additive tequila for a while, but now that he's starting to give, um, his platform to higher quality uh, or higher price mezcal bottles. I, I'm very appreciative of that. Yeah. Lucas is awesome. And um, a fellow, a fellow formula one fan who I pepper with lots of questions about formula one when I don't understand it. So he's uh, he's amazing. And also that Ultramundo is, is really, really exceptional juice. Like I was, you know, again, packaging aside, it is, Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I cannot recommend it highly enough either. Chris, who's who's your dope follow? Uh, tequila eight one eight. God damn it! 
Wait, are you serious? No, definitely not. <laughs> I was about to grab. I was about to reach through the screen, dude. Come on, man. We're trying to be positive right now. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm going for ad dollars, man. I'm going for ad dollars. Let's go. Bring them on. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think that's how it works at all. Okay, seriously, who's your dough follow? My, my mine is uh, is an organization called Books Unbanned. It was started by Brooklyn Public Library, and their focus is on getting getting books a off of banned lists, as well as getting them to people in within those areas where uh, where books have been banned. So, if you live in an area that is facing great pressure to have books removed from libraries. Uh, you can send an email to Books Unbanned and they will give you a digital uh, library card uh, and you can get your hands on those books and you can read them. That's oh, that's beautiful. awesome. I love that. Doesn't it, doesn't it always like blow your mind when you actually look up a banned like book list and kind of be like, that's banned? Like that's, that's just, so, it's the dumbest so many, thing. So many things are just dumb about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Obviously, all of our listeners know like how much I geek out on stuff and when it comes to like sci-fi, fantasy, and all these things. So my don't follow is actually this guy, and it's a it's an Instagram account, and it's Don Marshall72. Okay. And so it's D-O-N-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L 72. And what he does is he breaks down different elements of Lord of the Rings and gives them more con- like context and explains them out to things. And the, the explanation that I got hooked on him was why are orcs so easy to kill? And there's actually like a lot of thought process that goes into this where orcs have no armor on their backside whatsoever. Right. Because the thought process being that Sauron doesn't want cowards. So if you're going to fight, you're going to be moving forward. There's no reason for your back to be towards your enemy at any point. So there is no armor there, which then, of course, makes them much easier to kill. Which I just am sitting here like, oh my God. And then it's just been one thing after another of giving more explanation and depth to just Lord of the Ring things. So if you just want just the ultimate, like, guy pushes his glasses up and says actually and then explains lord of the rings to you this is the account for you because i absolutely love it and it's so excessively geeky and nerdy it's just it's just great so that's of mine. course you would find of course you would find this account it's you know it's one of those things that it's just kind of like you know what guys the algorithm works okay the algorithm fucking works. I got you figured out, dude. <laughs> they really do. They really fucking do. It's embarrassing. But you're you're a great content builder for them, so they're gonna make sure you're taken care of, man. I think so. They're just kind of like this guy's putting out a lot of stuff that gets like an okay amount of likes. Let's serve him what he wants, you know. Exactly. And it was and it was clearly Don Marshall seventy two. So um, thanks, Don. Thank you for putting out the stuff that you do because it's it is the chef's kiss of lord of the rings fandom i love it but hey those are some pretty dope follows the music for the good bottle podcast is orchestrated by leon and chase Moore, produced awkwardly by us two guys if you've enjoyed this episode, we ask that you subscribe. Please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Several things like that make a huge difference for a teeny tiny little podcast like ours. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts. Mine is dgarrison6. Chris is Chris and Flair. Steven, where can they find you and Tahona and all this stuff on the social medias? You can find us, Tahona Mercado SF. And then for our website, tohonamercado.com. 
Um, and then there's a little link on there that you can go to our online store. Our whole store is online, so you can check out all the products, uh, any new stuff we're having, as well as any new events that we're having coming up as well, tastings, chef table dinners, all that good stuff. He knows how to ship now. He figured it out after all these years. <laughs> he figured out how to ship. But please, uh, where's where's the store located in San Francisco? We are located in Knob Hill at the top of one of the highest marks there, a block away from Grace Cathedral. Uh, you can also stay at the Marriott Union Square. It's about a four-block walk uphill. It's now my favorite hotel because it gives me a built-in excuse to go to the Mercado. So um, stay there when you go to San Francisco. As always, we would like to thank you for tuning in and listening to our buffoonery. If there is anyone you think we should talk to, reach out. Make sure Drew gets nice and litty for uh, his, gets his courage up to ask. I'm going to drink all of the mezcal that Steven recommends to me, and I'm going to reach out to that person and then ask them to be on our podcast because I do it for the children. Just like Wu-Tang. Just like Wu-Tang. <laughs> Cheers, y'all. Cheers, guys. <laughs>